Hey, hello everybody, my name is Amitabh. I'm glad that you could join us today, whether you're watching us online or on site. A big welcome to all of you. Just a quick reminder, for the best interactive sermon note experience, our church app is there to help you along. If you have not downloaded the chat church app, do check it out. And for the rest of you who have done that, thank you for connecting with us. We are in a sermon series titled Life Hacks. Life hack is a strategy or, or a technique adapted in order to manage one's time and daily activities in a more efficient way. COVID-19 crisis has given us an opportunity to pause and reflect about different areas of our life. Our hope is that you will be able to reevaluate and change the way God intended you to live. The sermon this morning is titled Managing Anxiety, and our text is taken from Matthew chapter 6, verse number 25 to verse number 34. Verse number 25, let me read it for you. That is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life, whether you have enough food and drink or enough clothes to wear. The Sermon on the Mount in the New Testament is the longest recorded sermon by Jesus. It is three chapters long and is found in Matthew chapter 5, 6, and 7. In the preceding portion of the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus warns us against seeking earthly riches beyond our essential needs. In this part of the Sermon on the Mount, he takes us a step further by telling us to not even worry about the basic necessities of life. The Sermon on the Mount starts in Matthew chapter 5, verse number 1. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up the mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them. This was a message for his disciples and for those who loved Jesus. It was not preached in the church. It was not preached in the synagogue. It is written that Jesus went on top of the mountain, traditionally considered to be on the northwest slope of the Sea of Galilee, the message was not for the world at large. It was meant for those who had some sort of love and reverence for Jesus. Now in Bible colleges, we all went through a special homiletics class. Our sermon was analyzed and it was said to us that all good sermons ought to be reduced to one sentence. You should be able to go home and say that sermon was about and summarize it in one sentence. We were told two things distinguish an average sermon from a great one. It is an appropriate illustration and a pointed application. So how does Jesus meet these expectations? Appropriate illustration and a pointed application. For one, the length of the sermon was just right. Now I'm not suggesting that the entire sermon of, sermon of Jesus Christ was recorded word for word, but the way the Sermon on the Mount is available to us, it is about 2,330 words in the English language, which would take us about 20 minutes to preach. And the focus is just right. You can reduce the entire 2,330 words in one sentence, and here it is, the character and conduct that God expects from his followers. And with regard to appropriate illustration and pointed application, in this sermon, Jesus talks about anger, marriage, divorce, murder, parental relationship, loving your enemies, taking care of the poor, fasting and prayer, and so on, meaning you can't be more down-to-earth than that. And with regard to illustrations, 
He uses stories. Stories about cities on the hill, birds in the air, pig who had lovely pearls and ends up with two men in the construction business. It is a great, great message. This is how John Stott, a theologian and an author, described the Sermon on the Mount. He called it the best known, the least understood, and the least obeyed portion in the Bible. I think one of the reasons that it is least obeyed portion in the Bible is because it is easy. It's easy as a message, but yet it is hard to follow. For example, Jesus in our Bible text today is telling us not to worry about everyday life or tomorrow. That's easy, but it's really, really hard to follow. In the last 18 months, we have all been feeling the sense of anxiety. We have been worried right here in our Portico family. We have had many of us who have been sick. We have lost our loved ones. Many have lost their job and they are facing financial challenges. We have had students who are working, studying from home and they are failing, facing depression. Mental health challenges have been on the rise and it is in this context that I'm presenting to you three life hacks. Point number one, it is in your sermon notes, we blame other people. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 31 and 32, so don't worry about these things, saying what will we eat, what will we drink, what will we wear. These things dominate the thoughts of unbelievers. Although we hear that Jesus is telling us not to worry, we find it hard not to do it. When in difficulty, it is quite common for us to blame other people for our problems. We first find this happening in the Garden of Eden, right there in the first chapter of the Bible. In Genesis chapter 3, in the first book, we have Adam and Eve eating of the forbidden tree. The Lord God asked Adam, have you eaten from a tree whose fruit I commanded you not to eat? Adam at this point should be admitting what he has done in Genesis chapter 3, verse number 12, look at how he responded. The man replied, It was the woman you gave me who gave me the fruit, and I ate it. Look at the manner in which Adam shifts the blame. He lays it upon the woman. It was the woman. She gave me, and I ate it, but I have no further blame in this transgression. I did not pluck that. She took it and gave it to me. Bottom line, I'm going to blame somebody else, and in case you don't remember... It was you who gave me the woman. Interestingly enough, we find another passage in the Bible where a crowd of people is the problem. In Luke chapter 19, verse number 1 to verse number 10, we have the story of Zacchaeus and Jesus. Between verse 1 and verse 3, Jesus entered Jericho and made his way through the town. And there was a man there called Zacchaeus. He was the chief tax collector of the region and he had become very rich. He tried to get a look at Jesus, but was too short to see over the crowd. Since Zacchaeus could not see Jesus because of the crowd, it would have been all right for Zacchaeus to blame the crowd. But this is what I like about Zacchaeus. He looks at his problem, but he runs ahead, climbs the sycamore fig tree, and is able to look at Jesus. Two different responses. When facing challenges or anxiety, it is easy like Adam to blame others. It is harder like Zacchaeus to take the necessary steps to overcome our problems and avoid the temptation of blaming the crowd. 
The first thing we do is we blame others. The second thing we often do is when we are faced with trials and tests is that we blame God. Number two, we blame God. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 26 and verse number 27. Look at the birds. They don't plant or harvest or store food in the barns, for your heavenly Father feeds them. And aren't you far more valuable to him than they are? Can all your worries add a single moment to your life? We read in this passage about how God cares for others. He cares for the birds and the flowers, and yet when we are facing our challenges, our difficult situations, we start to question whether God cares for us. We, get, we begin to doubt whether he provides for us. In John chapter 11, verse number 21, Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. The background to this remark is found at the start of John chapter 11. We find that Lazarus of Bethany was sick in the town of Mary and her sister Martha. Interestingly, the word Lazarus is the Greek form of Eleazar, which means God is my help. Jesus had a close relationship with this family. When Lazarus was sick, it was natural for Mary and Martha to bring their need to Jesus. It was expected that if Jesus was miraculously meeting the needs of many others, that he would meet their need also. In their time of trouble, Mary and Martha did not specifically ask of Jesus to come and heal Lazarus. They felt they did not need to. It was enough to simply tell Jesus what the problem was. Now, for those of you who are going through a difficult situation, please remember that in the Gospel of John, John reminds us that Jesus genuinely loved these sisters and their brother Lazarus. This is an important reminder for us who are facing a difficult situation. Telling of our, testing of our faith is not a denial of God's love for us. I repeat, testing of our faith is not denial of God's love for us. When Jesus heard about Lazarus, surprisingly, he stayed away for two more days. It seems strange that Jesus did not immediately act upon this great need. The delay in God responding to your need is mystifying to you. It must have been agonizing to Mary and Martha. It is clear that Jesus prolonged the sorrow and grief of Mary and Martha. There were two more days of anxiety and sadness and grief. And so I really don't blame Martha. I don't blame Martha when she says, Lord, if only you had been here, my brother would not have died. If God is loving and kind, how could he allow, how could he allow this to happen to Lazarus, Mary, and Martha? It is easy to blame others, or it is easy to blame God for our problems. It is quite normal to ask, why did this happen? How could God let this happen? In Proverbs chapter 19, verse number 3, people ruin their lives by their own foolishness and then are angry at the Lord. It is not unusual for us to blame God when things go wrong. Why me, I asked the universe. Why not you, the universe replied. Point number three, we choose faith. Matthew chapter 6, verse number 32 and 33. 
but your heavenly Father already knows all your needs. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. God's goodness is a story that is written all throughout the Bible. Just because you can't feel his faithfulness at this moment, it does not overshadow all the good times he has given to us. Gene Edwards in his book, The Prisoner in the Third Cell, gives a wonderful account of the life of John the Baptist. John meaning God is gracious, Gene writes. John, such a man the world had rarely seen. John, his devotion to God was absolute. He knew no family life, lived without entertainment, without friends, without companionship. The thought of a wife, a house, or children never crossed his mind. Everything within John was for God. The devotion of Abraham, of Moses, of Elijah, or Amos paled in the presence of the single-minded celibate whose only friend and companion was his Lord. Never before John, and more likely, never after John would such a man of devotion walk this world again. Who can forget that memorable day in the ministry of John the Baptist when his cousin Jesus the Messiah came to River Jordan? Spontaneously, John roared, Behold the Lamb of God. The crowd began to whisper. There was murmuring in the crowd. And after this day, John took a keen interest in the ministry of his cousin. One of the followers of John would faithfully bring the news. Teacher, he like you has many disciples. And on occasions he speaks to large multitudes of people. But most of the time he speaks to someone's, at someone's home. And he speaks to his disciples on the Sermon on the Mount. What does he speak about? He tells stories, and many of them have a great deal of humor in it. Teacher, did you know? Did you know that, that he, he drinks wine? And his 12 disciples, they are not like us. They laugh a lot. Teacher, he even accepts the invitation to banquets. And master the people he keeps company with are mostly tax collectors and prostitutes and people like that. He goes to the home of a tax collector like Zacchaeus. The scene changes. And we read about the text about John the Baptist in Matthew chapter 11, verse number 2 to verse number 6. John the Baptist, who was in the prison, heard all the things the Messiah was doing. So he sent his disciples to ask Jesus, Are you the Messiah we've been expecting, or should we look for someone else? Jesus told them, Go back to John and tell him what you have heard and seen. The blind see, the lame walk, those with leprosy are cured, the deaf hear, the dead are raised to life, and the good news has been preached to the poor. And he added, Jesus blesses those who do not follow, God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. God blesses those who do not fall away because of me. We are slowly forced to shift our focus to the scene of a village in Galilee. Imagine with me, the place is packed with people anxiously waiting to bring their sick to Jesus. Some of the infirms are blind, some crippled. One is deaf. Another, frothing at the mouth, is held by restraint by his family. An anxious mother holds her small baby in her arms. Another mother is with a crippled child in her lap. All manners of people are there. 
and they have one thing in common. They are seeking Jesus. They are seeking a savior for their sickness. At this moment, the faithful disciples of John enter the hut to meet Jesus. Jesus hears the news. John is in prison. There are rumors that it will not be long before Herod has him killed. John sent us to ask you a question. It was the only request he made of us. We have traveled far to find you. Jesus requests his disciples to dismiss the people outside. There was silence. Again, the disciples of John the Baptist spoke. Teacher, the question which John would ask of you, he tries to control his, his embarrassment. Are you the Messiah or should we look for another? A long, stunned silence followed. Pain was felt by everyone in the room. Most prominently, it was felt by Jesus. Finally, the disciples of John left the room. Jesus, filled with the burden for his cousin, requested the people waiting to be dismissed and told the disciples to plan for leaving, leaving tomorrow for another village. Think with me for a moment. Tomorrow will hold for Jesus yet another village. But what will tomorrow hold for those who were sent home that evening? They all departed without healing. Now hold your thoughts. We go back to the prison where the disciples of John arrive in front of John. Teacher, I've seen your cousin. What did he say? Teacher, he said to tell you that the blind and the deaf and the crippled receive sight and hearing and healing. He also said to tell you that the good news is proclaimed and received with joy. The prisoner leaned forward and asked, is that all? No, teacher. He also said, tell John, blessed is he, blessed is he who is not offended with me. There was a long silence. Finally, John inquired, where was my cousin? He was in a village with sick people everywhere. Were they being healed? Yes, teacher. Many were being healed. Did you say many? Many, but not all? Not all. John stared vacantly into space. Had he at last found the answer to the question which had troubled him so deeply about Jesus? Or had he simply added another question to the problem? Many, but not all. At this moment, Jesus was alone with his struggles. If ever there was a time for him to give a clear answer, surely the time was now and the person Jesus' cousin. John, your pain is great. I feel it. Tonight you so desperately need to understand me, to fathom my ways. But John, you're not the first to have this need. You're one among many centuries of humankind who have called out to me with questions and doubts. With these words, scenes of events long past began to emerge before Jesus' eyes. Jesus shuddered. That same morning, a blind man was driven home, there to wrestle for the rest of his life with one fact. Your God has not lived up to your expectations, and blessed are you if you're not offended with him. A mother will return home with her husband dying because of coronavirus. The mother will give one answer and then another answer. 
The answer will not satisfy the daughter who is faced with one simple fact. Your God has not lived up to your expectation, and blessed are you if you're not offended with him. Many were healed, but not all. And your God has not lived up to your expectation, and blessed are you if you're not offended with him. Die, my brother John. Die in the presence of God who did not live up to your expectation, and blessed are you, John, if you're not offended with me. You know something, church? Portico family, a day like that which awaited John awaits us all. Every believer imagined God to be a certain way, but your Lord is never quite what you imagine him to be. You have come face to face with a God whom you do not fully understand. You are going to know your Lord through faith, or you're not going to know him at all. Faith in him, trust in him, and not in his ways. Portico family, no one can fully understand the pain you're going through as you suffer your present situation. Whether the cause of your anxiety came upon you because of circumstances or by deeds of men, one thing is certain. Before the present, tra present tragedy entered your life, it passed through the loving and the sovereign hand of God, and blessed are you. The blessing which Jesus promises is available when we recognize our incompetent and helpless position. Are you worried today and feeling sorry for yourself? The Sermon on the Mount opens with the Beatitudes, eight statements beginning with the word blessed. This word affirms a state of blessing that already exists for you. The Greek word for blessed used in the Beatitudes is makarios. The, in, in ancient Greek times, makarios referred to the gods. The blessed ones were the gods and not humankind. They had achieved a state of happiness and contentment in life that was beyond cares and labors and death. When we come to Jesus, please understand that we enter a different world. He introduces us to a teaching which is not only infinitely higher than, but contrary to that which motivates the world. In this sermon, Jesus gives a list of eight characters to be a blessed people. Now, please understand, this is not a multiple choice. I will pick up one, and I'm going to pick up number five. No, it's a package deal. Either you take all, or you take nothing. The blessedness that Christ offers to all of us is completely untouchable. That is why Jesus tells us in, Matthew chapter, in John chapter 16 and verse number 22, no one will take your joy from you. No one will take your joy from you. More importantly, blessed means what God thinks of you and what he gives to you. John Stott says that it is a serious mistake to call it happiness. Jesus is not saying about how you will feel over events in your life. The Beatitude speaks of the same joy in the word blessed. Maybe in today's context, a better word to use should be the word congratulations. The Sermon on the Mount does not talk about how happy it will all be out here, but rather congratulations, for it will be worth it all when we see God face to face. Jesus is congratulating his faithful followers. Jesus is congratulating you.
And it is in this context that we receive the words found in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus said, that is why I tell you not to worry about everyday life. Look at the birds. Aren't you more valuable to him than they are? And if God cares so wonderfully for wildflowers that are here today and thrown into the fire tomorrow, he will certainly care for you. So don't worry about these things. Seek the kingdom of God above all else and live righteously, and he will give you everything you need. A change in fortune, a collapse in health, a loss of job cannot take away that joy which God offers. We can experience a serene, untouchable joy which comes from walking forever in the presence of Jesus Christ. So how do we manage our anxiety? Number one, we are not going to blame people. Number two, we are not going to blame God. Number three, we will choose faith and a life with Jesus. I've requested Pastor Heather to lead us in the song, Blessing. It is a beautiful prayer, and the word of the song offers a promise as it says, The Lord bless you and keep you. Make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you peace. As you hear the song, I'm going to request you to take your smartphone or, or go to your laptop and go to portico.cc forward slash prayer. Please take the time to fill up the prayer request and send it to us. We have a prayer team right here at Portico, and we would love to continue to pray for you. So just go to portico.cc forward slash prayer and send us your prayer requests. And it is my hope that may the Lord bless us and keep us. May his face shine upon us and be gracious to us. May his turn his face towards us and give us peace. And blessed are you, blessed are you, if you're not offended with him. God bless you.